0: Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law.
1: Well, live from Elevate Studios in Los Angeles and from my house in Chicago, Illinois, it's the Elevate Together podcast. I'm Dan Katz, Vice President of Data Science Innovation here at Elevate, and I'm joined with my colleague, Eric Detterman. The kickoff of a special series we call Inside the Engine Room, where we highlight key stories, and people who bring you Elevate's award-winning products and services. So it's great to have you here today, Eric. Just to kind of kick us off, we have a lot of problems in law that are similar to the problems faced in other sectors. We had large volumes of data that have grown exponentially over the past few decades. We have technology that's beginning to better harvest and store that data that's been useful in other fields and is beginning to come here in law. One field in particular that'll be relevant to our conversation today is finance. Finance and law have actually been intertwined, if you think about it, as has law and and innovation broadly. But today we're inside the engine room with somebody who sits at this intersection of law, finance, and technologies. That's Elevate's own Eric Detterman, who has a wide range of experience in all these fields. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Inside the Engine Room. It's great to have you here.
0: Hey, Dan. Pleased to speak with you today.
1: It's my pleasure. So what we want to do today is highlight some of the work that you're doing here at Elevate with respect to data engineering, machine learning, and natural language processing. But I think it'd be useful for people to hear about your own background. You draw upon the experiences you've had professionally and the work that you're doing today. We'll start with a bit of a background about you, give folks a brief introduction, and we'll talk about a few things you've done along the way.
0: Sure, I'd be happy to. A bit of background on me is did undergrad as an economist and um, with quite a bit of statistical training as well that lends itself well for software development initially i started out as a process engineer really working with a small boutique consulting firm in michigan where we'd go out and help fortune 1000 and fortune 500 companies redesign their processes really to be more efficient and to be more effective in that after a while i got tired of traveling every week jumped into the legal industry with mortgage and foreclosure and bankruptcy processing And there we were designing and building a very large, very high volume software application for handling foreclosures, bankruptcies, and similar areas. So really over my career, I've worked in different industries and areas, all in some sort of a software slant and all with some sort of a complex workflow or complex machine learning type capability.
1: What were some of the technological aspects associated with processing mortgages, mortgage documents? And those are legal documents of a sort. What were some of the technical issues that you confronted in that type of work?
0: Yeah, it was quite challenging because at that time, it was 2006. And so it was really getting quite busy right ahead of the foreclosure and banking crisis in 2008. It was very high volume. And some of the challenges we faced there were just a very heavy document-centric workflow intertwined with hundreds of clients, all of the large banks that you would expect different courts, different governmental entities, and, and really a lot of complexity around the rules, the regulations, which were very fast moving and changing quite heavily. What we had to do is engineer very strong and complex solutions that really aimed for 100% accuracy on things because if there were any problems in that process, you had to restart anew. And to do that at scale across hundreds of thousands of cases is quite a difficult task.
1: A lot has been written about the financial crisis and particularly this work around mortgage processing. I mean, one of the things people said is organizations had difficulty just finding, collecting, and organizing all this loan information that they, in theory, were supposed to have possession of, but had a lot of difficulty actually doing the basic finding and collecting. Was that some of the type of work that you were faced with?
0: Absolutely. Mortgages are bought and sold in bulk. Oftentimes, you would have standard issues where what was on the document did not match what you would expect. There was a lot of work to go out to different systems to pull the information to consolidate. And unfortunately, at that time, just the state of the world with machine learning and natural language processing, there really wasn't capable solutions to do some of the techniques that we have now with automated extraction, whether it's pulling out parties or dates or currencies or some of the like. So it really was a much more manual process and still technically driven and software driven, but it definitely wasn't as far along as it is today.
1: You did this work. And then obviously, as they worked through the backlogs, the demand for this type of work wasn't infinite. You ended up making a move into the broader financial world at that point. I mean, I think about my own experiences. I've spent a lot of time working on applying statistical models to forecast or predict all types of different problems. But one of the signature problems, of course, that everybody wants to make progress on is predicting the stock market. You can ask a person, you can ask a machine. That was some of the work you were doing, trying to build models to predict securities, equities, what have you. Tell us a little bit about some of the challenges in algorithmic trading.
0: Yeah. Like you said, I mean, it's a very textbook or story problem to say, gee, I wish I could have a robot or a machine predict which way the market's going to go today or next month. Or should I buy Apple? Should I buy Tesla? What should I do? Something like that. And so really much of the work that in the background that I had in statistics and economics came into play. And then the software development side. So really, after I left the mortgage processing world, I moved into what's now called quantitative trading. And so really what that is, is really building machine learning and statistical models to influence your investment or trading decisions. So really, it could be something as simple as, do I think that Apple or Google or pick your other company is going to go up tomorrow? Should I buy it? And if yes, then executing on that. So really, it was building those models out. And the challenge within finance is just the sheer volume of data, getting that data into a shape and a format which lends itself to prediction because it takes a lot of massaging, we'll say, to get it into a format that can be predicted upon and then, more importantly, predicted upon in a timely manner so that the prediction is useful. Because, of course, the data is always changing. It's always coming in. So everything you're doing is you're building not just to build a model to predict something and then reading it in a static format. It's real time and always changing.
1: And of course, an application of those types of principles and ideas, not as a, much of a real-time need to do prediction is something like predicting the outcome of a lawsuit. You could think of it as an asset. There's a gain and a liability to someone, and people want to forecast that all the time. So you were in the deep there in pure finance, and then you got involved with a fintech company. That was called Green Key Technologies, and you were their first employee, the CIO of the company, helping bring that company more to market. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing there at Green Key.
0: So like you said, I was employee number one at Green Key. What we were doing is we were building up a voiceover IP, basically an industrial or institutional strength telephony application that can be run on your computer to allow you to, if you're an institutional trader trading, say, oil or fixed income or something of the sort. You could trade from anywhere with your counterparties, and really it was enabled with speech recognition and natural language processing and other techniques to really extract value out of that data stream that is the spoken word. The uses there are just simply communicating, but also to create a data stream for compliance purposes. And then for data purposes, because there is value in more obscure or less well-known markets to know where they're trading at and to know what they're doing. One of the interesting things there is that if somebody is simply looking at, say, equities to, say, buy 500 shares of IBM, that's a fairly standard conversation. But when you get into some of the more esoteric products, you get into very complex jargon and terminology and things very similar to what we have in law. And so really what that required that was quite fascinating is to build up uh, specialized speech recognition models and tools to really extract that information in an accurate way. And it's the same sort of approach that we took with building LexNLP and Contract Suite to really teach it that legal domain knowledge that it's got.
1: Yeah, traders have a very specific lexicon, to say the least. At a very practical level, obviously, there's this challenge that people deny that they put a sell order in or a buy order in and having a record of all of that and having automatic transcription of what's going on and and also allowing people to flag bad behavior, as you mentioned, on the compliance side. These are all the types of things that beyond, frankly, finance, we want in other types of legal work streams. So you came out of Green Key when they hit a key milestone, and that's about when you got connected up with us. At LexPredict before we sold the company to Elevate. I guess I would say that we had brought the company to a certain point from a product perspective, but you brought that kind of CIO, CTO discipline to productization. Maybe tell us a little bit about how you saw it when you showed up initially in terms of whipping us into shape and getting some proper products out of what we were doing.
0: I've known Mike Bomarito, one of the founders of LexPredict, now for about 10 years, so quite a while. And really, I've always been impressed by what you and Mike have been doing. And really, what I saw when I came in was a very capable, foundationally strong technology product that was very well suited for complex consulting, documenting analytics, text extraction, data extraction. And really, where we wanted to take it was to make it more of a product and a platform that can be used by a wider range of people to make it easier to use, to make it so it can be used across a wider range of problems. And I'll say more of a self service tool rather than a tool that would require a data scientist or a developer type to operate. A lot of my experience at Green Key was building and scaling and operating globally distributed development teams, software development teams to build technology products. I brought that same sort of approach to LexPredict and building out contract suite, A lot of what we were doing has been taking it from a, call it a consulting Swiss Army knife or a toolkit that it started out as, and building that out into the platform that it is today.
1: I will say, like you suggested, the product was built out of doing work for individual customers on individual problems. And so we sort of assembled what was necessary on a per problem basis. What you helped us do is create a proper tech stack that was fully integrated and connected together. We can do document analytics broadly, contracts as a particular document type, but obviously document analytics broadly is other types of documents, legal or otherwise. What are some of the key issues in terms of this path from you've got something that is fit for purpose for an individual problem, but what do you need to really go to the next level with a fully integrated tech stack? What are some of the issues there?
0: We would always refer to Contract Suite as a platform and not as a product. And really, the delineation there is that a platform is much more of a open-ended and more flexible and extensible application. Really, what we see in law and practice are many of the problems are very similar, but they're different enough where you need to change something or extend something or do something different in order to achieve the best outcome. And so really, we kept it very flexible so that a trained team, trained individuals, can go in and turn the dials and turn the knobs and really do different things to get a better result. We've kept it very developer and technology focused with ways in which you can integrate it in with other applications. If we just look back over 2020, which has been really a roller coaster of a year, you've seen new problems crop up just due to COVID and the implications of that. And so we don't know what 2021 will bring or what new laws coming or changes are coming. So really what we know is that we know we need that flexibility and that way to configure on the fly and to really get the information out and get the heavy, strong solution and not just a point solution.
1: Let's try to help the audience decompose a product. As we like to talk about it, there's a front end, typically a user experience. There's some sort of workflow, typically, that people are moving through from step to step to step. In the background, there's an engine that's processing perhaps a document, let's say, and there's a database where stuff is being stored. Data has to come into the system. It's moved through an engine. Possibly workflow people are touching, maybe stored in a database. There's a front end, but these are kind of the moving parts, right? That are out there. So when you thought about what are some of the key issues, maybe we'll start with the front end and the workflow.
0: Just like you've described it, there's the user interface, user experience that people are accustomed to seeing. Consumer software has gotten to be so good that everybody expects it to look very clean and very polished because their personal email client is very easy to use. Oftentimes, it'll even try and complete the sentence for you. So they sort of expect that machine learning or that AI-type functionality to be very easy for them to use and interpret. So in terms of the components that the user interface is critical, that's really what people see and experience. And then moving backwards, we're certainly getting documents from some system. It could be a DMS. It could be a CLM system. It could be an internal site, wherever it may be and then processing those in accordance to some rules or some process or some approach to get some information out of. So really we're feeding that document in to the backend, to the engine, and extracting the information out, and then saving it into the database so you can do things like reporting, analytics, workflow distribution, and all of the sort of stuff that people expect to have when they're processing thousands of documents. Oftentimes what we see that we've tried to avoid is to really make it such that the parts can be split apart and built up in different ways. And really, so we can bring in different machine learning models and techniques that are ever evolving and changing over time. Typically, what we'll do is to have the machine learning model totally separated out from the application and really build that in a way that we can do something like, let's say it's a good, unsure, or bad outcome. We'll put that with something like a stoplight on the front end that's very easy for the user to understand and interpret. And so, really, the idea here is that they don't need to know that what's happening inside the engine or within the machine learning models. They simply need to follow the patterns that they're already accustomed to from a user experience standpoint to get value out of the tool.
1: I think that the average buyer today in the legal space, though, is highly enamored with workflow and front end. And there's no reason they shouldn't be, but you have this problem that sometimes exists where The product, if you were really to look at it, has got a Ferrari front end in terms of a beautiful body of a car, but there's a lawnmower engine on the inside. Now, we took kind of the opposite perspective when we were getting started, which was engine first. If you have a bad engine, you can put a front end on it, but eventually you're going to have a problem in terms of performance. You're not going to get there very fast, even if the car looks pretty in the showroom.
0: We definitely focused on the foundation of the product first and the core components there because really, if you don't have a strong foundation on a software product, it's very difficult to build them well and scale them and to continue growing them and providing value. We focused there on building strong techniques and approaches. We open source the component tree on LexNLP and is a demonstration of what it is so people can go in and understand the code, understand what it's doing, verify what it's doing. And if they've got the uh, skill set, they can go in and extend it to meet their own problems. You know, we're seeing new things where somebody may take techniques that are created more in the broader ecosystem, one of the Silicon Valley startups or technology companies, and bringing that in within our platform and then leveraging that for something to help solve their problem. Certainly building the front-end and the end-user experience is important, but it's actually, I would say, the easier part. And once you have the foundation, you really can take in a lot of different directions. This concept of micro-products or micro-modules, all built on the same stack, and all of these are doing different aspects, but it's all within the same ecosystem.
1: So just to review, so we have, there's an engine that's processing something in the background, and then the outputs go to a database, typically for reporting and subsequent analytics. Then the user experiences a front end and some workflow. But there's a couple other pieces that really are necessary to make these products actually work inside the engine room, which is how do you connect to other systems and how do you deploy the individual system within a broader IT, let's call it ecosystem, because almost never is your product the only thing that the customer or client has, right? I mean, you have to sit in this broader IT landscape. So there's a question of deployment and connections to other systems.
0: That's right I mean, of course, the obvious goal is to have a, let's call it a single pane of glass or a single system for everything. It's a great goal. It's very difficult to get there in practice, because, like you said, everybody has multiple systems that they're using, and so integration between the systems becomes critical. Much of the work in, in software is getting data from somewhere, doing something with that data, generating value in some way, and then pushing that value to some system where people are used to. So it could be in our case, it's a very document centric workflow and processing. So it could be working with the DMS or CLM or other applications to push that data in there. And so we have what are called APIs or application programming interfaces for everything within the application. Because what we're seeing with leading firms is they don't just want a point solution anymore. That's not interesting or differentiating. what they want is an integrated solution where they can tie it in and create something unique either for their own internal use or on the law firm side for their client use. In terms of where the software runs in deployment, you know we've gotten to be so accustomed to cloud and everything is in the cloud and we don't really worry about where it's at. But with all of the IT teams and requirements, whether it's where the information is stored or how it's handled or security items, there are a lot of considerations there. And so it's critical to be able to store the information and to be able to operate in a way that meets the IT teams requirements and to do that in a easy to follow way. Several years ago one of the first things I did at Lexpredict was to embrace containerization. And really containerization is Docker's out there, Kubernetes is out there. You're seeing increased use of containerization within the legal tech space. Really what it's about is having following best practices on software deployment and usage to allow your software to be viewed favorably and work well within the IT side in a way that they understand and, and using tools and techniques that they're accustomed to.
1: To kind of summarize, an API you can think of as the method by which we push and pull data across IT systems. And containerization technology is where the world is now from how do we deploy these offerings in a broader IT landscape? And like you mentioned, Kubernetes, Docker, those are the players in that landscape. Any last thoughts?
0: What's interesting in what we're seeing and what we're building is more integrated solutions and larger systems, more integrated, more single pane of glass really that add machine learning and AI capabilities into applications to just make the work that everybody's doing every day smarter, easier, faster, more pleasant to to use and to do more, to really bring that power that some of the other industries out there have really leveraged and enjoyed for quite a while now. So it's a fascinating time and things are evolving very quickly. And we're loving where things are going with uh, machine learning capabilities that are coming forward.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us. So that was Eric Detterman, Vice President of Data Engineering and Solutions here at Elevate. I'm Dan Katz, Vice President of Data Science and Innovation here at Elevate. I thank you so much for joining us today inside the engine room as a special edition of the Elevate Together podcast. Tune
0: in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com.